Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Treasure that I see, you are my own. 
Today you'll be listening to the message preached at Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Praise song this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to skip the salad and get right to the meal. Amen. Uh, I've been watching you guys online as far as uh, seeing how you're doing with the app and I thank you for all the prayers that's been prayed and uh, for this revival. We're going to have an incredible revival because we serve an incredible God and because you guys have been praying. It's going to be awesome. Let's stand together as we uh, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I want to begin with a, with a parable. It's a familiar parable I know to many of you. Um, but this parable, uh, according to Jesus, is so important that Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand the rest of them. And for me, this parable uh, changed my life. Uh, I had, if you will, an aha moment when I gave my life to Christ and I'd been raised in church all of my life. I'd heard thousands of sermons and, and read the Bible and all those things, but when I Got saved at the age of 21. I'm cutting in and out. Am I, is it my pack? Or, are y'all hearing me okay? Maybe I'm just cutting. <laughs> okay. Um, but I had an aha moment uh, with this parable. You ever had an aha moment? I have too. I remember my first aha moment was when I talked back to my mama. <laughs> Woke up three days later, <laughs> realized... Don't ever talk back to mama. See, when I was growing up, we didn't have time out. We had knockout. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I remember my second aha moment was uh, when my parents told me not to play with matches. And as a, about a six or seven year old, I waited and found me a box of matches and went out into the woods. And, and I was going to figure out what the big deal was. And so I began to strike those matches one at a time, watch them burn down to my fingertips. It was a glorious moment. Woohoo! Until about match number 10, I got bored and I thought, well, I'll build a pile of leaves back here in the woods and, and see what happens there. And I set those uh, leaves on fire and I burned about two acres behind my house. And I had another aha moment, woke up three days later <laughs> as my dad beat my brains out. I'm just <laughs> but, my greatest aha moment was on January 23rd, 1992. Uh, that was the day that I gave my life to Christ, and I'll be sharing a little bit about that with you throughout the week. Uh, this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, gives this parable. And let's begin in verse 1. He says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, if you can visualize that. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Verse 3. Then he, Jesus, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. 
But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Verse 8. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Verse 9. He closes the parable with a warning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's say that together. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, thank you for every person that's present here this morning. Thank you for every person listening online, on TV. Father, I believe that each one of us are here for a reason. And Father, I pray that you would seize our attention. And Father, I pray that every person listening to this sermon would hear and heed and respond. I ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. First of all, I think it's important to note that this is simply a comparison. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, he taught many different ways, but one of the choice ways that Jesus taught was in the forms of parables. Now, I looked up the word parable to discover that the word parable is actually a compound, a Greek compound word made up of the verb balo, which means to throw, lay, or place and the prefix para, which means alongside of. So if you can understand, Jesus is simply taking some earthly principles, some things that the people of that day understood, which was farming, and he's laying uh, those principles down beside spiritual principles so that they can understand. Now many of us uh, here this morning, we know that the farmer represents God, or it represents the preacher, or it represents the person giving out the word of God. We know that the seed represents the Word of God. And in this particular parable, Jesus is saying that wherever the seed is sown, it's going to land on four different types of soil. Now, if you study throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, you know that the soil represents us. It's good that God compares us to dirt. Woohoo! <laughs> but in the Genesis, he said he breathes life into the dust of the ground. And in this particular parable, he's talking about the Word of God, the seed, landing on four different types of people. Now, in just about 15 minutes, hopefully, in just about 15 minutes, every person in this room and watching online, you're going to know exactly which one of these categories that you fall in. Uh, you're going to fit in one of them as snug as a bug in a rug. You're going to know where you stand. Now, it's not always good. I, my wife told me before I left where I stand, and that's not always good. But you're going to know in just a few moments exactly where you stand because Jesus is giving a comparison. But before he gives the meaning of the parable, he gives a caution. Secondly, notice uh, here uh, the caution that he gives in verse 9. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that seems at first glance a, a strange thing for Jesus to say because he just tells this story and you might re think on first uh, reading of this that he's being sarcastic. For example, if I came up to you and told you a story and I said, hey buddy, if you've got ears, hear it. You may be tempted to slap me across the face thinking that I was being sarcastic. But Jesus is not being sarcastic at all. He's giving a very real warning. A matter of fact, he gives an extensive warning. If you read along in Scripture here, uh, beginning in verse 11, I'll pick up in verse 14. He actually reaches back into the Old Testament and quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says this prophecy has been fulfilled. He says, hearing you shall hear but not understand. 
At seeing you will see but not perceive. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. A kind of an extensive, extravagant warning that Jesus is giving. Uh, I began to ask myself, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Why is he giving this warning? Well, as I began to contemplate on this, I'm convinced that the parents in here, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. When you're talking to your kids and they're playing on the dumb phone, I mean the smartphone, and they're playing those video games or they're playing uh, on the, uh, their video games at home and you're telling them to go clean their room and they're nodding like they're listening to you, but they're not listening to you. They're hearing, but not really hearing. I'm convinced that the wives in here, the wives in here, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about when you're talking to your husband and he's watching that Wildcats game or watching uh, something on TV and he's nodding into you like he's listening to you, but he's not listening to you. He's hearing, but not really hearing. I have the privilege many times of, of, of teaching pastors in the area of evangelism and I, I'll do breakout sessions and I always like to watch them come in the room. I can always tell who has the PhDs and who has the THDs. You know, in ministry, we can stack up a whole bunch of education, and usually they'll have this look on their face like this. I can always spot them. So I have to humble them uh, from the very beginning and remind them, you know how you pronounce PhD. <laughs> Never goes over real well. We'll have to clean this pulpit after that, but... Never goes over real well, but if you think you know everything, then you can't learn anything. It's interesting, I, I'll take it a step further and I'll ask everyone in the room to take their right hand and place it on their watch. I, matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. You can do it at home if you're at home, but I want to ask you to uh, take your right hand and cover up your watch. If you've got a watch on, go ahead and cover it up. If you don't have a watch, then you can use your uh, cell phone, I mean your smartphone. Uh, you can use that, but cover it up and don't look. And let me ask you a couple of questions. What's in the place of the 12, the 3, the 6, and the 9? Now, don't look, but think about that. What's in the place of the 12, the 3, the 6, and the 9 on your watch? Is it, are they numbers or are they Roman numerals? Are some of them Roman numerals and some of them numbers? Are some of them dots or are some of them dashes? What's in the place of the 12, the 3, the 6, and the 9? Think about that for a moment. If you don't have a watch and you just use your cell phone, what's in the bottom right-hand corner of your phone, that app that you push on all the time, the one in the bottom right-hand corner? Now think about that just a moment. How many of you would admit, admit this morning in church, by the way, this is a great place to tell the truth? How many of you would admit this morning, I'm not sure, What's in the place of the 12, the 3, the 6, and the 9? Not 100% sure. And I'm not sure what's in the bottom right-hand corner of my cell phone. Would you raise your hand this morning? <laughs> Woo! Did you steal that watch? Okay, you can go ahead and look and see if you got it right. Now, according to my vision up here, I'd say about 80% of us raised our hand, didn't know what was in the place of the 12, 3, the 6, and the 9, or in the bottom right-hand corner of your phone. So what I'm asking you to understand this morning is, how is it that you can look at something hundreds of times a day and still not know what's there? How is it that you could use something over and over in a day and 
and still not really know where it is or, or what's there. You see, Jesus is dealing with this in this particular crowd. You see, according to historians, the people that Jesus is talking to is a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of Sadducees, and a bunch of Essenes. And they're religious people of that day, and, and, and they're hearing Jesus, but not hearing Jesus. Matter of fact, the Pharisees were noted for memorizing Scripture. If I could bring a Pharisee back uh, from way back then and put him in a time machine, bring him back here, march him in these doors, one Pharisee could whip all of us in Scripture memory, all of us put together. That's how much they memorized the Scripture. They strapped it to their heads and strapped it to their arms. They memorized it all the time. And here Jesus is standing right in front of them. He's fulfilling the prophecies that they've read about and He's standing right in front of them and they can't see Jesus. The very people that were supposed to spot the Messiah can't see Jesus. It reminds me of America today. We've got a church on every corner and America still can't see Jesus and Jesus is talking to this crowd and he's saying I'm standing right in front of you you're you're hearing me but you're not hearing me you're seeing me but you really don't see me and he gives this parable and he says he who has ears to hear let him hear so he gives a comparison he doesn't give the meaning then he gives a caution he warns it now what I'm about to say only some of you are going to hear it and then he gives praise the Lord he gives the categories or the meaning. If you notice in verse 19, he say, or verse 18, he says, come listen to what the parable of the sower means. And he, and he begins to break it down into categories and uh, four different types of people. Now in verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one, which is Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one who received the seed by the wayside. Now, if you can remember, Jesus is standing on the shore. He's looking across a bunch of people just like I am. But in the backdrop, he's looking at some fields and some paths that separate the fields. And he points them out and he, and he says, look at these, this type of dirt. He says, this type of dirt has been packed down. It's, it's hard. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves is what makes dirt hard? What makes... This hard. Jesus says, so hard the seed will just lay on top. The word, the seed, will lay on top. The birds of the air will be able to fly over, see the seed, and rob it very easily. Now we know the birds of, of the air represent Satan because the Bible says Satan is the prince of the power of the... So we know that the birds represent Satan or his demonic forces and the seed represents the word of God and they're laying on this hard-hearted person. And so I had to ask myself a question. Do I know this person? Have I ever met a hard-hearted... Have you ever met a hard-hearted person? I meet them all the time. I run into atheists sometimes. I run into agnostics sometimes. I run into atheists sometimes and they're convinced that there's no God. And I like to tell them, you know, the Bible says there's no God. And they go, really? Really? Like they're all of a sudden going to believe the Bible. But they're like, really? I knew it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. The fool says there's no God. Woohoo! Never goes over real well, but just want to get that to them. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, uh, the fool hates wisdom and instruction. And so it's interesting as we talk about this, the Old Testament talks about this person as being stiff-necked. Uh, they don't want to hear it. You ever talk to somebody, you invite them to church, they don't want to hear it. You uh, mention Jesus to them, they don't want to hear it. 
hearts hard. So you have to ask yourself, what made their heart hard? Well, I began to go through the Bible to, to try to answer that question, and I found the answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they see not the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is in the image of God. Listen, Satan will use false teachers. By the way, folks, we got a lot of false teachers on the airways these days. Uh, we, Satan will use false teachers. He'll use the fear of what people think. He'll use stubbornness to make people's hearts hard. He'll use procrastination. I'm convinced that the belly of hell will be full of those that thought they could put off a decision for Christ just one more day. He'll use procrastination. He'll use the love of the world. He'll also use sin to make a person's heart hard. Billy Graham, when asked, what's the number one reason that people don't respond to his messages? Billy Graham responded by saying, they love their sin more than they do their Savior. Satan will use sin to make a person's heart hard. But I've got good news for you this morning. If, you're, if your heart has become hard over time, I've got good news for you. God can save you. No matter what condition you're in, I want you to know that God didn't create you to have a heart of stone, to be hard-hearted, and, and God can save you. And as I make my way through these scriptures, I recognize and realize the different things that Satan uses, and, and I began to list them all down. But there was one that I was missing. There was one that was staring me right back in the face, and I never saw it before, and, 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 I, and it was just there. In every New Testament, every chapter, it was just staring right back at me. And what Satan will use to make the person's heart hardest of all is cold, dead religion. Religion, rules, routines. It was the Pharisees that cried out, crucified Jesus. They had information without transformation. And many times it is religion. It's interesting to me as I go around, the number one thing I hear from people all the time, they say, I don't go to church. I ask them, come to church, come to revival. I met a guy last night, it's named Chris. Pray for Chris. Chris is going to come with me one night this week. Woohoo! So uh, you pray for him when he walks in. He's got dark hair, you know that's him. You go to praying. But we meet people all the time, and, 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 and when we invite them to come, the number one thing, I didn't hear this from him, but the number one thing I hear from people, they say, I'm not coming to church because church is full of a bunch of... It's interesting that 2,000 years ago, Jesus would make this note of this, that this religion, many times it's us, that the number one obstacle that keeps people from Christ is people that claim to have a relationship with Christ, but they don't live like it. Hypocrisy. It can make your heart hard, but I got good news for you. God can save you. Number two, second type of person. The Bible says in verse 20, the one who received the seed on the stony places is the one who hears the word and immediately or at first he receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself and only endures for a little while. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately stumbles. I wish I had time to go into all the Greek ramifications of that, but the word stumble in the Greek simply means he's offended. So at first glance when I began to study this, I looked at Palestinian agriculture and I began, I first thought that Jesus was talking about rocks on top of the soil, but as I read about how they farmed in that day, the, the farmers would remove the rocks and the debris from the soil first. Then they would plow and plant. So Jesus is not talking about rocks on top of the surface. He's talking about veins of limestone that run just underneath the surface. 
And on the top, it looks like good soil. And when the seed lands on what appears to be good soil, it springs up quickly, but it doesn't last. I can completely identify with this particular category because that's my life. You see, at eight years old, being raised in church all of my life, I, I received the word at first with joy at eight years old, the best uh, an eight-year-old could do, I guess, at that time. And, and I, I, I prayed that prayer, but over time, it was proved that it wasn't a real decision. It didn't last. The Bible says it, 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 it doesn't last. And, and so I began to tra trace this category. God qualifies every one of these categories all the way through Scripture. The Bible says it, the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus, at the end of that sermon, uh, gives a warning. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And the saddest version of all the Bibles when Jesus said, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Not I once knew you, but I never knew you. It's shallow. It didn't last. Listen, the Bible says in John, Jesus said in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 31, He said, If, let's say that word together, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. In other words, if you're born again, you ought to stick and stay. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. They had a form of godliness but deny the power. Many people say to me all the time, I say, well, Brother John, uh, you know, I, I know I was saved when I was 2, or I know I was saved when I was 5, or I know I was saved when I was 10, but I lived like the devil for 20 years, and, uh, but when I got married, my wife whipped me into shape. Let me tell you something, folks. I know you got a wonderful wife, but your wife cannot save you. I run people all the time say, well, I know I was saved when I was five, but, but you know, I lived like the devil for many years and didn't live for God, and, and I was just backslidden. And, but, you know, uh, when, I, uh, when I found out that I got cancer, that's when God got my attention, and I started living for God, started going to church, reading my Bible all the time. Listen, I know can cancer is a terrible disease. just found out two weeks ago that my mother-in-law uh, has oral cancer. Uh, I appreciate you guys praying for her because when she was diagnosed, she had this growth and it, man, overnight, it seemed like overnight it just was growing. She had a very fast spreading cancer. And the doctor says, we can't, we can't, the quickest we can operate on her is six weeks out. The church I was preaching at the time, I said, I said, hey, you guys pray for my mother in love. Her name's Kathy and, and you guys pray. I mean, we, she's got this fast spreading cancer in her mouth and, and, uh, and they're saying they can't operate, uh, uh, until six weeks and they're saying it's in the bone and all kinds of stuff and this church that I was at they went to praying and uh, the doc this was on Sunday on Monday they called uh, the doctor's called and says hey we had a cancellation can you do it on Tuesday <laughs> my mother-in-law said let me pray about it yes <laughs> so praise the Lord she went and had surgery and we continued to pray and as they dug in there and they were going to have to remove the whole uh, left side of her jaw, bone, everything. And they got in there, and the cancer was not in the bone. It's the power of prayer. So thank you guys uh, for praying, uh, uh, and praying for us, and praying for this ministry. But when she, I have no idea why I shared that. What a blessing. The Bible says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples 
uh, oh, but people would come up to me all the time and say, you know, I I know I say, oh, cancer. Cancer can't save you. It 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 can get your attention, but it can't save you. It can stop and make you think, but it can't save you. I like to read this scripture to those that, 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 that have a similar testimony as mine. The Bible says, they went out from us because they never were of us. They went out from us because they were not of us and it would be manifested or made known that they were never of us in the first place. And so the Bible clarifies and quantifies this particular person that there's going to... How many of you have ever met somebody that says they're a Christian but they don't act like it? Again, Jesus is saying that these people are among you. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. I love what the late, great Adrian Rogers says. Said, a faith that fizzles along the way was faulty from the first. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe, in my case, I never had it in the first place. But if you can identify with my testimony, God can save you this morning. Let's look at the third category. Number, verse 22. The Bible says, But the one who received the seed among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, making it unfruitful. I got to this third category, and, and I began to study what the farmers said about these thorn bushes, and I found it interesting. These farmers described these thorn bushes as being very aggressive, very hardy. They would grow so quickly that they would suck the nutrients out of the soil and suck the water out of the soil, not leaving enough for the intended crop. And Jesus says for this type of person, this type of person, like this type of person, will hear the word, but it won't last. Over time, there's things that will choke it out. And, and when I begin to read about this, it reminds me of what 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says. It says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, there's another type of people that like the idea of being saved. They like the idea of being a Christian. And they may have prayed that prayer long ago. But over time, it's manifested or made known that the world is more interesting to them than the Word. That the world is, that they find more satisfaction from what the world has to offer than what God has to offer. You see, a good picture of this is when we go to the games. It's amazing to watch a man. He could go to a football game or a basketball game, paint himself blue or purple or green or whatever, and flip out over a touchdown or a goal. Wow! And then come to church and look like a bulldog. Sit and watch a bad rated R movie for two hours and like it and say that was a great movie. And then come to the church and when the preacher goes over, he's looking at his watch. There's something wrong when you can find more satisfaction in what this world has to offer than what God has to offer. I praise the Lord on January 23rd, 1992, I gave my life to Christ. And God's been exciting me and stimulating me every since. I can't find anything better than it. But at this particular category, remind me of my brother. Uh, I'll be sharing a little bit about my family tonight and, and, and throughout the week. But this category reminded me of my brother. You see, I began to share with my family. I got to lead my dad to the Lord that was a deacon for 30 years. You know, they make better deacons when they get saved. Amen. So my dad got saved. Uh, my, both my brothers were deacons. My middle brother got saved. And, and a bunch of, I had dozens of cousins get saved. Two of my uncles got saved. Two of my aunts got saved. God began to sweep through my family, but I couldn't reach my oldest brother. 
And so I went to my oldest brother, and his name's Bill. And I said, Bill, man, I'm just worried about you, concerned about you. And I began to witness to him, and he realized what I was doing. And he's like, hey, man, chill. I'm good, man. I'm good. You see, God allowed, allowed my brother to be successful financially. And he has a world, uh, uh, had the world by the neck or whatever, you, whatever the saying is. And I tried to reach him and say, I'm good. He said, John, I go to church all the time. And I began to look through my Bible to see if you could go to church enough to be saved. Couldn't find it. And I said, Bill, going to church doesn't mean you're saved. And he said, well, you know what I mean, John. He says, man, I give, I give all kinds of money to the church. So I looked through my Bible to see if you could give enough money to be saved. Couldn't find it. And he said, well, John, come on. I sing in the gospel quartet. Couldn't find it. And I could not reach my brother. No matter what I said, I couldn't reach him. But I praise the Lord. There's power in prayer. My brother went on vacation to Cancun, Mexico, and he contracted what's called bacterial pneumonia. If you know anything about bacterial pneumonia, there's as many bacterial pneumonias as there are makes of cars. And the only way to cure bacterial pneumonia is to treat it with just the right medicine. And so my family, we're bad about not going to the doctor when we're supposed to, and he waited too long, and my brother waited so long when they, took him to the, when they finally took him to the hospital, they took him in an ambulance. And when he got to the hospital, they diagnosed him with this bacterial pneumonia, and the doctors began to give him, not knowing he'd been to Cancun, Mexico, they began to give him everything they got, cleared the medicine shelves, trying to treat this to try to clear him up and try to, 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 to save his life. And they missed it every time. And I watched as my brother dwindled away in the hospital all the way to death's door. And I'll never forget as he tells the story, his wife never left his side. She stayed with him the whole time, night and day. And my brother, with just a few breaths left in his lungs, uttering one word out at a time, he called his wife over to the hospital bed late at night, about 12 o'clock at night. And he said, one word at a time, honey, I hear what the doctors are saying. I know they can't help me. I know I'm going to die here. And there's some things that you need to know. I don't have a will. And you're going to have to need to know these things. And so from about 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock that morning, he began to go through the list one word at a time. About 3 o'clock in the morning, his wife fell asleep in the bed with him, in the hospital bed. He said, I lay there all by myself. He said, I was listening to the monitors, listening to when I would breathe my last breath. And he said, my life began to flash before my eyes. And he said, I became afraid. And he said, I did the only thing I knew to do. Is he said, I cried out to God. I'll never forget what my brother said. He said, God was not there. It reminds me of Isaiah 59 2. Your sins have separated you from God, and he heareth not your prayer. And my brother said it dawned on him right there in the hospital room as his life flashed before his very eyes. He said, I've, I've lived this whole life for Bill. I've stacked up things for me. I've called the shots. I've lived for me. I've not lived for God. 
And it came to his attention. It flashed before his very eyes. He's about to cross over into eternity. And he realizes, I've lived for me and not for God. He said fear came over him like he'd never experienced before. And he said, I began to shake in the bed. He said, I knocked my wife out of the bed. He said, I pulled all the stuff out of my body. And he said, I was so afraid. He said, I never in my life experienced the magnitude of that kind of fear before in my life. He said the doctors and the nurses came in and they pounced on top of him and they sedated him and got him hooked back up to the machines. And he said, it was a a strange thing. He said, my body lay limp, but my mind was racing. And he said, I'd never experienced this kind of fear before. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. My brother did, he said, I did the only thing I knew to do. Laying there limp. Realizing I'm about to die. He said, I cried out to God a second time. He said, but this time I asked God to save me. And he's, God saved my brother right there in the hospital room. And I got good news for you. He also saved his life because my brother's still with us today. But he's a different kind of brother. He's not chasing the money anymore. He's chasing the Messiah instead. I love it when, I get, when I'm nearby, my brother says, anytime you're nearby preaching a revival, he said, let me share my testi- testimony because he said, if everybody had to drink that bottle of fear that I drank that night, woohoo! he said, everybody gets saved. And he said, let me share my testimony. Listen, if you're here this morning and you can identify with my brother, maybe you've been in church all your life, but as you look back on your life, you realize, man, I've been living for me and not for God. The Bible says narrow is the way and only a few find it. And my brother, praise the Lord, God got his attention and he got saved. But listen, God can save you. Lastly, we get to the last category. And praise the Lord, different than all three of these, we get to the last one. And the Bible says this is the one who received the seed on the good ground. And the Bible says that this crop produces 30 60, 100 fold. Now the farmers of that day, the average ratio was 8 to 1. So if Jesus would have said, when the seed lands on this soil, it's going to produce 10 fold. The farmers probably would have said, hey, we don't normally see that. But Jesus didn't say 10 fold. He said 30, 60, 100 fold. What Jesus is saying, if you look in that passage of scripture, he says the man that understands the word, the man that receives the seed, and understands, understands what? Understands that Christ stepped out of heaven and came to this earth and lived a sinful life, and a, a sinless life, and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. When they understand that God loves you so much that he would go to such extreme, when that lands on you for the first time, the Bible says you'll begin to bear much fruit. In other words, if you're born again, what the Bible's saying, if you're born again, if you receive the word, you ought to be real fruity. 30, 60, 100 fold fruit. Now I'm convinced everybody here, you're here because you want to do the right thing. You're, you're sitting there saying, well, I, you know, I want to be fruitful. I, I, yeah, I'm one of those guys. If, if God says I'm supposed to look that way, I want to look that way. And maybe you're the same way. I want to look that way. And you ask the question, so what is fruit? Well, I went through the whole Bible. I wish I had time to give you all the passages of Scripture. But I, I'll give you just the three categories. There's three types of fruit in the Bible. First of all, there's the fruit of evidence. The most quoted scripture in the Bible regarding the fruit of evidence is is in Galatians 5 verse 22. 
It says, but the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Yes, you can say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, according to this passage of Scripture, if you interpret the Word of God correctly, if you're truly born again in here, how much love should be in your life? 30, 60, 100-fold. How much joy should be there? Come on, you guys say it with me. 30, 60, 100-fold. How much peace should, should be there? Let's, let's say it like we're Pentecostal. 30, 60, 100 Oh, here comes a hard one. How much patience should be there? Ah! Let's shout it to the rooftops. 30, 60, 100-fold. How much kindness and goodness should be there? Let's shout it again. 30, 60, 100-fold. Here comes another hard one. How much faithfulness should be there? 60, 100-fold. How much gentleness and self-control? Don't lie in church. We're not seeing that in the churches these days. According to statistics, the suicide rate outside the church is the same inside the church. Drug use, same outside the church as inside the church. Pregnancy outside of wedlock, same outside as inside. We're not seeing that. The Bible says there should be 30, 60, 100 fold. In other words, the Bible says when you're born again, you should be a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. That you should be so different that you should appear as aliens. That there's a difference. It's, call me crazy, but I, I'm convinced if you're born again, there ought to be a change in your life. Amen. There ought to be the fruit of evidence. That's all this is saying is if you're born again, you should look like it. But there's not just the fruit of evidence. There's the fruit of praise. I love this. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 14. The Bible says a man will be satisfied by the good fruit of his mouth and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered unto him. Psalm 51 and verse 11 says, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth shall bring forth praise. There should not only be the fruit of praise. Listen, if, if we're born again in here, how much praise should be in our life? Let's say it together. 30, 60. Uh, wouldn't it be nice as this revival progresses, we get a little Pentecostal in here and start praising Jesus and get some... Yeah. Listen, you say, well, I just don't raise my hand. I don't, I don't. Listen, folks, if you don't like praising God here, you're going to hate heaven. But I'm not sure you're going to be there. The Bible says we ought to wake up praising God. There should be the fruit of praise, the fruit of evidence, and lastly, the fruit of evangelism. Uh-oh. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible says all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Psalms 92 and verse 12 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like the cedars of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They'll flourish in the courts of our God. Listen to what it says in verse 14. They will bear fruit even in their old age. They'll stay fresh and green 
proclaiming. In other words, evangelizing, saying, proclaiming that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no wickedness in him. That when we're born again, that evangelism, telling people about... That's why Jesus came, was to seek and to save that which is lost. But we're not seeing that in the churches today. According to statistics, the high 90% of the people in our churches don't evangelize. A study just recently came out of millennials. They say that more than half of them think evangel- doing evangelism is simply wrong. What? What's inside of every piece of fruit? Seed. And God says we should be like trees with a lot of fruit. What happens when that fruit hits the ground, dissolves into the ground? Another tree. In other words, if we're born again, we should be able to, there should be fruit in our tree. There should be fruit on the ground. There should be baby trees around us. Now, a few years ago, I put my phone number on the internet. Now, I thought that was a good idea several years ago. Not so good now, but now I get lots of calls. If you hang out with me, my phone rings all the time. But a lot of times, it will be from the revivals that I've been to. And it might be Steve from Texas. And he'll say, Brother John, it's Steve from Texas. You remember me? And I'll say, no. (laughs) He'll say, I just want to thank you for coming to my church. My eyes were opened and I got saved. And I say, praise God, Steve. Susan will call me from Alabama. Say, Brother John, you remember me? I'm Susan from Alabama. No. She'll say, I just want you to know, I led my first person to Jesus. I want to tell you, thank you. And I'll say, good job, baby. You see, I believe if we're born again, there ought to be people getting born again because you got born again. That ought to be true. But instead, something else has happened. Scripture describes it this way. That some will become trees without fruit. You ever seen a tree without fruit? They'll become clouds without rain. Looks like a cloud, but no rain. That's what the Bible says. They'll become wells without water. Looks like a well. People will approach that well thinking they're going to get a drink from that well, but that well is empty. And what the Bible describes as happening in the church today where wells without water, trees without fruit, clouds without rain. Statistics are telling us, I can see it. I go to hundreds of churches. And I preached to Southern Baptists. I know I'm going a little long this morning, but i got to lay this foundation so you won't be lost the rest of the week. If you don't understand this one, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about tonight. And I run into another person. So, oh, Brother John. Isn't there another category? Isn't there a fifth category? Because, Brother John, I don't want to admit that I'm worldly. I don't want to admit, admit that I've been chasing the dollar. I don't want to admit that I'm shallow. I, I don't want to think I'm a hard-hearted person. You see, all three of these represent lost people. How much fruit? How much fruit? 
Jesus said, those that don't bear fruit will be bound up and cast into the fire, which represents... Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their... So we got zero, zero, zero. Then Jesus jumps to the last category. Supernatural amounts of fruit. So what do we do? We say, oh, Brother John, isn't there a fifth category? Isn't there a category that bears a little bit of fruit? I've got a little bit of fruit in my life. Every now and then I'll pop out a fruit. Doesn't that count? Brother John, I was nice to my wife 10 years ago. Ask her. Brother John, I used to be fired up for Jesus when I was in my youth group. Isn't there a category with a little bit of fruit? And see, it's, it's not up here. This is not my parable. It's God's parable. And you say, I actually had somebody come at me after I preached this service and say, John, do you, you ever see people bearing that kind of fruit? Well, I'm standing here and I'm seeing about 1,500 people come to know Christ every year. You say, Brother John, you're boasting. No. <laughs> you know if you've ever witnessed, it's not you doing it. It's God. I can share it masterfully and they won't get saved. And then I can misquote scripture sometimes. They get saved. And I'm like, wow, how'd that happen? It's God. I share that with you to let you know the gospel still works. So, yes, it can happen. We do what's called law of first mention. Has we ever seen this? Yeah, look at the disciples. According to historians, the first year that the, that the, after Pentecost, according to historians, over 300,000 people got saved that first year. Brother Brad, wouldn't you like to report that to the convention? <laughs> How many did you see saved last year, Brother Brad? Oh, 300,000. Having a hard time building Sunday school space. 300,000. But we've come a long way in 2,000 years. We're not, not seeing that. So I want to ask you this morning, can you hear what I'm saying? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So John, what are you saying? The Bible says if the righteous scarcely be saved, Brother John, what does this mean? Revival is an opportunity for you to move toward God. And for some of us here, that first step is to be crucified with Christ. Where you no longer live, but God lives in you. Salvation is not you doing better. Salvation is not you being gooder. Salvation is you being dead, dead to your old self and alive in Christ. It happens at the moment that you recognize I'm a sinner and I'm going to keep sinning without Christ. I'm helpless without Christ. I have no hope without Christ. I can be baptized in every frog pond from here to California. Without Christ, I won't be saved. So this morning, I want to ask you, I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to visualize this stage up here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want to ask you, which one are you?
Every head bowed. This is the most important time of the service. Every head bowed, every record. Which one are you? Watching on TV, there at home. Has your heart become hard? God can save you right now. Maybe you're here and you can identify with me being in church, but not but Christ not in you. Hey, Billy Graham said that 80% of the people in the church fall in this category. Religion, but no relationship. Listen, God can save you. When you stand before God, do you know for certain that he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Have you been living for him or living for you? Listen, God can save you just like he did my brother. But you have to recognize it and realize it. and You have to be willing to do something about it. So right now, this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you fall in one of these three categories, the first three categories, and you're man enough or woman enough to do something about it, you recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that if Christ were to return or you were to die, you're not ready. And if that's you and you can admit that, you say, John, what do I do? The Bible says you've got to do three things. Number one, the Bible says you've got to confess with your mouth. That's just what the Bible says. To be willing to confess that with your mouth. Your need for Christ. Secondly, the Bible says believe in your heart. Truly believe. You say, well, John, I already believe in God. I know you do. But I want to remind you, even the demons believe and tremble. Belief and confession is really no more than what the demons do. So the Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and be willing to turn from your sins. Number three. The Bible says, without repentance, we will all perish. In other words, you have to be mature enough to recognize that your sin will never satisfy you. No matter how long, how more you pursue that sin, it will never satisfy. You have to come to a place, a time, a moment in your life that you say, I no longer am going to entertain that sin. I'm going to turn my life to Jesus. I'm going to give all of me to all of Him. If you're here this morning and you'd like to do that, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Simple prayer. You can just repeat after me right where you're seated, up in the balcony, down below. Dear Lord Jesus, just say that to him in a whisper's voice. Dear Lord Jesus, I know exactly where I stand. Just tell him. I see exactly where I stand. I believe your word. And I believe it's time. I give all of my life to you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I need salvation. I believe you and you alone can save me. I give all of me to all of you. And I ask you to save me in Jesus' name. 
and every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me in here this morning, would you just slip up your hand? And then you can slip it right back down. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand? I see you. Amen. Amen. I see Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.